0: and uh, we've been we've covered a number of the missionary service tying that into the apostle the gift of the apostleship we've talked about um what have we talked about i'm into the one for today so anyhow that's as far as my memory goes but uh you can listen back to some of the others that we've covered in the past uh weeks and i hope you will if you've missed some of the weeks uh we talked about service one week uh we've talked about help me out here y'all were here right Teaching. We talked about teaching last week. Encouragement. Somebody told me, they said, I've got the gift of discouragement. Does that count? (laughs) No, I know. Not worth, not the same. Uh, But anyhow, so today we're going to cover two other gifts, the gifts of giving and the gifts of leadership. Uh, These gifts, uh, we defined spiritual gifts several weeks ago as a God-given ability to perform supernatural ministry for Jesus Christ. That is, the purpose of this is to bring glory to God, the reason why we're using these. So we understand that the Holy Spirit has given these gifts to us. If you are a believer, we've learned over this course of this series that each and every one of us has a spiritual gift, perhaps more than one spiritual gift, um, and that the purpose of these gifts is so that we can glorify God, so that we can lift up the name of Jesus, so that we can do ministry on His behalf. Um, I have a list here of the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. Um, Romans chapter 12 catalogs some of those gifts. And so what I'd like for us to do, because two of the ones that we're going to be talking about, giving and leadership, are captured there in Romans chapter 12, is for us to read those verses where many of these are listed from. So let's stand and read together from Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 5 through 8, Romans chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. Here we go. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. Thank you so much. There's a list of the gifts that Paul gives us here of some of the spiritual gifts that if you are a believer, if you have a a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that one of these gifts has been given to you. So as we talk about these today, you can kind of internally think and reflect, hey, you know, which one of these sounds like a gift that the Holy Spirit's given me that I'm uniquely uh, squared for, that I can uniquely um, handle. So the first of these is the gift of giving. Here in the scriptures, um, Paul mentions, or in this translation, the ESV version, it mentions the word Um, contributes, the one who contributes in generosity. In the NIV, it uses the word giving, so that's where I'm going to follow from. So this gift of giving. What is the gift of giving? Well, I got a definition here for you. A gift of giving is a supernatural ability, remember it's a God-given ability, to give freely, to give joyfully, and to give generously To the work of God. That's what, if you think about what the gift of giving is, or the gift of contributing to the work of God, that's what we're talking about here. In Romans chapter 12, it says that if you've got this gift, that you're to use it with simplicity. That word means a singleness of mind. It means without any sort of pretense. It means without any sort of ulterior motive for your giving. Um, In other words, people who have the gift of giving do not give so that they can receive the applause and accolades of others. They don't give so that they can uh, be be viewed as somebody who is uh, who is generous. They don't give so that they, people will admire them. They don't give so that they'll be noticed by other people. Rather, they give so that they, because they have a joy and a freedom within them to want to give generously. Um, they don't want anything in return from God. They're not wanting anything in return from God's people for the fact that they gave generously. They just merely enjoy giving. Now, you say, Gordon, does that mean that only people who have the gift of giving are the ones who are supposed to give? Because maybe I don't have that gift, right? Um, Well, hate to disappoint you, um, but all of us as Christians are supposed to give. That's a command that the scriptures teach, not just the people with the gift of giving. But what differentiates the people who have the gift of giving from the rest of us is that the people with the gift of giving, it is a supernatural ability that enables them to go way above and way beyond what would be natural or what would be normal in terms of giving to the work of God. Barnabas was one of these people. So let's take a look at the life of Barnabas, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. We see Barnabas in his generosity in action. Acts 4 and verse 36 says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, it says he was a Levite, a native of the island of Cyprus out there in the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, verse 37, it says that Barnabas sold a field that he owned that belonged to him And then he took the proceeds from that field, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Friends, I would say that is giving way above and way beyond what would be considered normal or natural in terms of giving. Imagine for yourself for a moment that you're amassing up, you're building up um, all of your lands you're building up this inheritance, you're building up your farm, you're building up your barns, you're building up your silos. Over the course of a whole lifetime, he spent building up his herds, he spent building up all of his equipment that he has, and then he decides in one moment, in the matter of a week, in the matter of a month, that he's going to take everything he's worked his whole life for, he's going to liquidate it all, way above what's natural, what's normal, and he's going to come and bring it and lay it at the feet of the disciples he gave it all away. Friends, I would say that is supernatural giving. You say, but Gordon, he was rich, right? He had all that land, so he had it to give. Friends, it says that he gave everything. He emptied all of the money in his checking account, all the money in his savings account. He liquidated everything that he had, and he brought it, and he gave it. That's supernatural giving. Not just rich people, though, have this gift. There are poor people in the Bible who have this gift as well. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells a story about a collection that is being taken up for the poor people living in Jerusalem. There's a famine back home in Israel, and Paul's been out on his missionary journeys during this time frame, and the people in Jerusalem are suffering. The people in Jerusalem don't have food to put on the table, and so in all the churches that Paul's been going around to, he's been taking up a collection and building up this collection um, to bring back home to Jerusalem to help the Christians, the churches that are there in Jerusalem. Well, when he goes through Philippi of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, he says that in a severe test of affliction, the people who live there out of their abundance of joy and in a state of extreme poverty themselves overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. So the poor people in Corinth, or the poor people in Philippi of Macedonia that Paul's writing about here in Corinthians, the poor people who live there wanted to take up an offering they basically want to take bread off of their own table to put bread on the table of people who didn't have it. They wanted to take bread off of their table, which was very difficult for them to come by, and they wanted to use that to provide for the needs of others. So poor people themselves, all through the Scripture, are seen as having this gift. It's not just people with a lot of money that have the gift of giving. Verse 3 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, he says, and beyond their means, In other words, they should not even have given, these people in Philippi should not have given what it was that they gave. They didn't have it to give, Paul says. They gave well beyond their means, and yet they did it anyway because they had this Holy Spirit, God-given ability to give supernaturally what was well beyond what would be considered natural or normal. Friends, you don't have to be rich to have the gift of giving. He says in verse four, they begged us earnestly for the favor and the privilege of taking part in the relief of the saints. Um, We have families in this church who, when we have a big project coming along, they love to give to those special projects above and beyond what they would regularly give. Uh, The new nurseries that we've put down the hallway um, not too long back, our new restrooms, the new timber frame carport that you see outside the front of the building, the uh, the renovations that have taken place over at the Parsonage just in the last couple months, the new Little K bathroom, large portions of those projects, and at times all of the portions of those projects have been taken care of by individuals or groups of individuals who just said, look, we see that there's a need here in this church, and we want, We want. have God's given us resources. We want to use those resources to meet those needs, stuff that's been outright donated to the church. Again, the gift of giving in action right here in our own church. Now, it doesn't always have to be money. We have businessmen and businesswomen here in our church who give out of their skill set. Uh, when there's needs that arrive here at the church, they're the first ones that say, hey, look, call me and I'll come take care of that. Uh, let me come and handle that issue for you. Um, we have people in our church who take care of other families in our church who have needs, out of, again, out of the skill sets that they possess and their place of work. I've seen people in our church cover the cost of family funerals for other families, not even their own, for people in our church. I've seen people in our church bringing meals and gift cards to other families in times of needs, and I could go on and on and on. But these people give as unto the Lord. They give generously, way beyond any 10%. They do it not because they want to get anything back, but because God has gifted them. Get that. God has gifted them uniquely to give to the work of God. And friends, they would be embarrassed to tears if I was to start sharing names with you up here this morning, okay? That is not why they give. They're, again, not looking for, uh, to have their names put forward. They're not looking to be, to be recognized. They do it because God has gifted them, and when they give, they have a joy, an abundance of joy, when they give in that way. When I came here to the church in 2007, the building down here, the gym building, had several hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt on it. And we were entering into a time in our economy when things were... Not going so well, and we had this debt that we were carrying, and things became really difficult for us as a church. I mean, we had $3,000 in the checking account when I showed up here, uh, however many years ago, it was more than two. Um, so many years ago. And so uh, there was an elderly man here in our church, he's not here anymore, so we can talk about him. Um, don't, you don't have to worry about us talking about him here, but an elderly man here in our church. And I remember, uh, and, and he had, nobody knew, at least I didn't know, that he had done really well for himself and put a lot of money aside and he was looking to give some money to the church i didn't know that i remember one day i was driving up here by the church and i got up just inside of the church coming up from gratis um up the road and i was praying as i was driving down the road as i often do when i'm driving down the road and i remember the lord spoke to me and as just as the gym came to view the god, god said hey gordon i want you to know that that building's going to get paid for and i was like yeah right <laughs> I'm like don't you see what's going on in our economy right now lord Well, it wasn't a matter of months later that we had a gift given to our church of almost $200,000 that paid off that gym, just like God said it would do. Why? Because God had given the resources to people who had the gift of giving, people who gave beyond what was natural, beyond what was normal. Um, He was using his supernatural gift. What an exciting gift it is to have. Some of us have got that gift of giving but you have never put two and two together. You've never thought about the fact that the joy that you get when you give to the work of God, that friends, that joy is because the Holy Spirit has put in you, in your heart, a love for giving to the work of God. Perhaps you didn't even know that you had that gift. Friends, if that is you, God has gifted you with a joy for giving, and I would urge you, if you've got that gift, and here's what you do with it. Here's the difference it makes to your life. Okay, I'm asking the question right there. There it is. What difference does this make? This is the difference that it makes to your life. I want for you to pray that God would put more seed for sowing in your work, in your life. The Bible teaches us, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10, Paul writes, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will not only supply, but will also, what's the word? Multiply your seed for sowing, and get this, will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know what that verse means? It means that if you've got a heart to give to the kingdom of God, friends, then you need to get on your knees, and you need to tell God, God, I have it. you have put it in me to want to give to the work of God. And Lord, if you will... Give me more seed to plant. I'll sow more seed. And I, Lord, your, your word says that you will increase that seed so that I can give more to your work. God, the increase that comes my way isn't going to go into my bank account. The increase that comes my way is going to go to the mission field. The increase that comes my way is going to go to the work of God in the world. It's going to go to support my local church. It's going to go to support local ministries. It's going to go to support global ministries. But Lord, the increase that you can bring Because you put this gift in me. Lord, I pray that you would give me more increase. I pray that you'd give me more seed to sow. That you'd help me to make more so that I can give more. John Wesley taught that we are to make all that we can. Amen? And save all that we can. And give all that we can. That's what the scriptures are talking about here. All right, second, uh, y'all okay? I know we talked about money for a minute. Right? (laughs) Right? All right, second gift that we want to talk about today is this gift of leadership. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time together. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, we read it a few moments ago, that the one who leads is to do so with, he describes it as zeal, that is, with a, a, a passion, a desire, a, a, a no apologies kind of leadership. He writes, uh, middle of 2nd, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul's listing off some more of the spiritual gifts there, and he writes, verse 28, middle of the verse, he says, the gifts of healing helping and administrating. Now, some theologians would want to couple this gift of leadership and the gift of administration. Um, Paul uses two different Greek words for leadership and for administration. And so, because Paul uses two Greek words, and they really do have different meanings, there's some nuances and differences in them. So, we're going to treat these two separately. We're going to keep them apart. We're going to talk about administration in a couple of weeks. But today, we just want to talk about the gift of leadership. The Greek word that's used for leadership, which translated leadership is proistamenos, which means to rule, to govern, to superintend, to preside over, to direct the affairs of something. But that still doesn't help us, and just thinking about that from the Greek definition doesn't help us understand what exactly we're talking about. We're talking about the gift of leadership, like what that looks like. So I got a defini- definition here for you. This, uh, this is not the definition I'm going to officially use, but this does come from uh, one of the resources I'm con- uh, uh, consulting And uh, this guy writes, he says, The the gift of leadership is the God-given ability to preside over, to govern, plan, organize, and administer with wisdom, fairness, examples, humility, service, confidence, ease, and efficiency. Y'all got all that, right? I mean, he threw everything in but the kitchen sink. And part of the problem is, and he goes on to admit this in his writing, is that the reason that his definition is so long is because leadership is so involved, and it's so difficult to just put a pinprick in it and say, this is exactly what it is, uh, to identify it in that kind of a way. But here's the thing about leadership, is that when we see it, we know it. When we see leadership, when we, give that, when we see somebody with that God-given ability or exercising that God-given ability, we go, Yes, that's the gift of leadership in action. It's what Moses had when he led the people out of Egypt. It's what Noah had when he asked his sons to come and help him build the ark and was the laughingstock of everybody in their community, but they persevered to the end, built the ark, and well, we know the rest of the story. It's what David had when he consulted or consolidated a divided nation into the most powerful kingdom in all of the Near East. It's what Nehemiah had when he uh, rallied the Israelites to come and build the wall around Jerusalem. It's what the Apostle Paul had when he went out on his missionary journeys and planted all the churches uh, all over Europe and all over Asia Minor. It's what people like Chuck Swindoll had. It's what people like Mother Teresa possessed. It's what people like Billy Graham had. And as best as I can define it, it consists of four simple components. And so here they are, four simple components of leadership. The first is the gift of leadership means a person who is, has a God-given vision. It's a person who is able to see the forest, that is, and not the trees. It's a person who's able to sense where God wants to go, uh, whether or not God wants to build an ark, build a building, rebuild a nation, build a wall, or carry on an exodus, or go plant churches. This is somebody that can see that coming. It means getting a sense for what God wants to do, and then being willing to have the, and have the courage to step out in faith and say, God, if this is what you want me to do, if this is what you want done, then I'll go be your point person, and I'll see to it that it gets done, a God-given vision. Second of all, the second component of leadership um, is a person who not only has a vision, but they have the ability to impart that vision to other people and to get people to rally around that vision uh, and to to get them to to bring their resources to bear there, uh, to gain ownership of it themselves. Third is that they have the ability to motivate others to go to work on behalf of that vision, And finally, not only do they have the vision, do they communicate the vision, and do they rally others to get it done, but fourth and finally, these are people who have the ability to keep going and keep pressing despite any obstacles, despite any difficulties that may arise um, or opposition to seeing it to its completion. Friends, that is leadership. And God gives the gift of leadership, friends, to men and to women. Amen? Gives the gift of leadership to men and women not to committees. Amen? Okay. God does not give the gift of leadership to committees. God does not give the gift of leadership to boards or to task forces or or leadership teams. I ran across a statement just this past week that said, for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. (laughs) Right? He sent a man, Jesus Christ, and that's always been God's method. God sends a man or God sends a woman with the gift of leadership. Now, do not misunderstand me. Those leaders may work with a board. They may work with a committee. Moses had his 70 elders. Noah had his sons. David had his close advisors. Nehemiah had the Sanhedrin. But the purpose of that committee was to support that man or woman, to balance that man or woman, to fine-tune that man or woman So that when God asked that man or woman to step out and lead supernaturally, they had the balance that they needed to be able to go forward and lead God's people. And talking about the gift of leadership like this, friends, it forces us to consider how God has designed the church to operate. Let's think about this for just a few moments. Uh, We've learned in the New Testament scriptures about this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. That's this concept in the New Testament that runs throughout the idea that we no longer need a priest a mediator that's what the priest was in the old testament it was a mediator between the worshiper and god so the priest kind of stood in between and would talk on behalf of god to the people would talk on behalf of the people to god they sat they were stationed in between but in the church age the bible teaches us first timothy chapter two and verse five for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men and that person is jesus christ it's not a human figure anymore it's Jesus Christ who stands or is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ever interceding on our behalf. And, the, and he is our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our mediator, Jesus Christ. So we no longer need a human mediator, a priest, to go between us and God. Instead, we now have, through Jesus Christ, this is all the book of Hebrews, direct access to God himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, all human beings, all of us, are put on a level playing field. There's no longer the worshiper, the priest, and God, now all of us human beings are on the same level playing field. We, there is the priesthood of all believers, that we all do ministry. The Bible also teaches the principle of servant leadership. We've talked about this many times over the past weeks. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 that the rulers of this world exercise dictatorship type qualities. They exercise demagoguery. Jesus said that not, that's not the way he wants for his leaders to to lead. Instead, he said, Matthew 20, and verse 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. In other words, we don't need dictators in the church. God does not want dictators in the church. But even though God may not want dictators in the church, and even though the church may not need any priests in the church to mediate between God and the worshiper, God does need leaders. We see that clearly taught in the text. Jesus established 12 of them to lead the church in his absence. And he set one out of those 12 over the other 11. The Apostle Paul was careful never to leave churches behind that did not have leadership. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, it says that he appointed elders for them at the local church in every church. And in Acts chapter 20, he stopped in Ephesus to meet with the elders of that church for the very last time, saying, Acts 20 and verse 28 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, talking to the elders overseers over that church. God had put in place leaders for every local church, not just for the church overall, but for every local body of Christ. In fact, Paul told Timothy and he told Titus in his letters to them, hey, look, I want you to appoint elders, and here's the qualifications for those elders. You can open up the letters of Timothy and Titus and read about those on your own. So what I'm trying to communicate this morning is this. That despite the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, that all believers are on the same equal level playing field, and despite the principle of servant leadership, which makes dictatorial leadership illegitimate in the church, that despite those things, we dare not conclude that God intends for his church to be a democracy. That is not how God set up his church to be structured to function that God has created the church to be led by some committee because that is not what God says in the word. God has ordained some believers to occupy the roles of authority and leadership in the church, and furthermore, he has uniquely gifted individuals by his Holy Spirit to lead in the local church. Those believers are to exercise that ministry. You see, God knew that his church would need leaders, and so God has gifted certain purposes certain people among us for that purpose. Say, Gordon, why are you making such a big deal out of this? (laughs) I mean, is there like some kind of problem in the church or something we need to know about? No, not at all. I'm emphasizing this because actually there is an issue in our culture today when it comes to the concept of strong, bold leadership. Uh, There's a lot of confusion in in our culture today. What I mean by confusion is that there are extremes that some of our churches have gone to, they've adopted some of what you see in the culture today, and it can really hurt the church. One extreme is to exercise no accountability over pastors or over elders. These churches give their leadership carte blanche, they let their leaders become dictators, and friends, we have seen the disasters that can occur when that kind of no accountability scenario is in place. We've seen it with the Ted Haggard stories. We've seen it with people like Perry Nobles and Mark Driscoll and Jim Baker and the scandals that we see in the Catholic Church today. We've seen the terrible things that can happen when the church provides no accountability for its leaders. And that's one extreme, providing no accountability. Another extreme, however, that hurts the church just as badly is when we emasculate our leaders in the church. Anyone who takes strong, bold leadership in our current cultural climate today, outside of the church, just in the secular world, listen now, becomes a suspect. Becomes somebody that we're skeptical about. Becomes someone to mistrust. Becomes someone who's a subject of doubt. I mean, people like General Patton, strong General Patton, would not survive in today's army. He'd be drummed out of the army. There's no place for a guy like him in today's military, some would say. In America, it seems that much of America cannot tolerate real leaders anymore. Much of this is a conditioning of modern feminism. And I've talked about modern feminism and its impact on our culture and our values and how we're raising our children and our societies. In our series called The Culture Wars that was just a couple of years ago, I would encourage you, if you want more on that information, it talks about the roles of men, talks about the roles of women, and it's all taught from a biblical perspective. And I would encourage you to go check that out, about how modern feminism has impacted our culture today. But one of the things that modern feminism has done, it's really a reaction in some respects to the unbiblical male dominance theory, this idea that men are to dominate over women, which is not a biblical concept. But in rejecting male dominance as a leadership style, our culture has done an equally egregious thing, and it has emasculated our leaders across our country. And, of course, what happens in our larger culture trickles into our local churches. We have neutered our leaders. We have made them impotent. We have made them wimpy. We have made them weak. We have made them feckless. And so much of what you see from the snowflake liberal left, yeah, I'm getting a little bit there, and its criticism of our current president, if you'll notice, is not policy-related criticism. It is stylistic criticism. That's not, that's not my opinion. That's just a being objectively observing what's going on. So both the culture... Now leaking into the church in its opposition and suspicion to strong, bold leadership produces or wants, begs for, weak, wimpy leadership in the church. And folks, if today people think President Trump is too much, they would have recoiled, popped their thumb in their mouth, and committed themselves in the presence of a guy like Teddy Roosevelt there would have been no place for somebody like Harry Truman. I mean, they wouldn't have known to, what to do with these folks. Now, what is my opinion is that this is an evil thing. And it has become a pervasive thing. And it is hurting our culture and it is hurting our churches. Friends, we must not take the men and women that God has gifted for leadership and stick them so full of boron rods that they never reach critical mass for Jesus Christ. God has equipped them To lead. We as the church need to recognize that and allow them, release the reins and allow them to lead. Now it's been a few years ago, but a large focus of my dissertation work dealt with the subject of leadership. And one theory that was floating around back when I was working on my dissertation that I was hearing was this idea of communal leadership. It came from a guy by the name of Gene Getz. He was a professor uh, some years back ago at Dallas Theological Seminary. And in his book, he talked about how the local church ought to be run by committee. People ought to get together, they ought to have conversations, they ought to interact with one another, and then find some consensus amongst the committees, and then that's how decisions would get made. And so he championed community leadership. Never a single visionary leader, never a single leader, never a Moses, never a Nehemiah, never anyone like that, but rather community leadership. And a lot of churches, friends, bought into that. And a lot of churches attempted to implement that manner, that model of leadership in their local churches. But the problem that they discovered was it led to chaos. And that it never produced any dynamic work of God in those local churches. And there have been scores of churches that have tried it and found that it failed them. It wouldn't produce anything. And the reason that it does not work is that it is not a biblical model of leadership. It does not mirror what the scriptures taught of what leadership should be. The biblical model of leadership is that a gifted man or a gifted woman of God, a visionary, a spark plug, is given to a church, is given to an organization, and then that church or organization surrounds that man and surrounds that woman with accountability. Moses had his 70 elders. Moses had Aaron to hold up his arms. He had people to hold him accountable, but nevertheless, Moses was the individual that God gave to the nation of Israel to lead them out of the exodus. Committees don't lead people out of Egypt. Moses is due. Friends, every exodus needs a Moses. God gives individual men and women the gift of leadership. Put a system of accountability in place, but once that system of accountability is in place, we, the church, need to let the leaders that God has established among us to do what they are gifted by him to do, and that is to lead. The scripture we read earlier this morning, chapter 12 and verse 8, admonishes leaders to lead with, does anybody remember it? Mm Mm-hmm. Don't apologize for using your gift. Let it fly. Put it out there. Lead, the scriptures say, lead with zeal. Friends, if you've got the gift of leadership, and there are many among us here who do, God did not give you that gift so that you can hide it under a bushel. God gave you that gift for you to use it. And friend, if there are people who push back and people in the church who are skeptical and suspect, then friends, you let God worry about that. Because he gave you that gift for you to use it. You let the dust fall where it may. God gave you the gift. You lead with zeal. You say, Gordon, if I got this gift, where do I begin using it? Everybody okay? We're not too uncomfortable, are we? Talk about money, now we're talking about this. Mm, tough day, right? Just throw it all in one bag together, right? We'll roll on to something like mercy next week. So, <clears throat> You say, where could I begin using this gift? Well, that's a really great question. Let me give you a few ideas, and I'll be brief here. First, at Hebron, we are not starved for idea. we, ideas. We do not need more ideas. I mean, you may have a great idea. That's great. But we don't need a whole bunch more ideas because we've got plenty of ideas around here. What we need are people who can mobilize other people to pull together to make those ideas into reality. That's what we need more of. Um, one of those great ideas has been the Ladies Share Life group. Many of you ladies have been a part of that Share Life group. A couple of ladies saw a need in the church. They gave me a heads up about what they were doing. I said, "God bless you. Sounds wonderful." They organized it. They advertised it. They uh, they and it's become a really meaningful way for connecting women all across our church in meaningful relationships. And it took, but it took a woman of God with the gift of leadership to have the vision, right? To be able to communicate that vision, to rally others to that vision and to see through whatever obstacles to bring it to its completion. Here's what I do not need. Here's what our staff at the church do not need. Do not, uh, we don't need anyone to bring us an idea. We don't need anyone to look at us and say, I want for you to get excited about my idea. I want for you to go and communicate what God gave me. I want for you to go and rally people to my vision and I want for you to overcome all the obstacles in seeing that vision to completion. See, God gave you the gift of leadership. And if God gives you a vision and he wants for you, to, then that means he wants for you. <laughs> Got that, right? I, I, went by, I went over this last night with Claire about 1045 I said, is this too harsh? <sighs> she said, you just need to say it the right way. So I probably, <laughs> probably didn't. <clears throat> But God, needs, God gave you the gift, and he gave you the vision. So call me on the phone, tell me what you got, get your God bless you, and then go communicate it, rally people to it, and see it through to completion. And friends, that'll blow the walls off of this church if we get leaders in our church taking ownership like that, seeing things through, seeing God's vision to completion. Friends, if God has given you the gift of leadership, exercise it with zeal and watch and see the blessing that God makes, the vision he's given you to the lives of other people and the blessing it'll be to your own life as well. Well, those, that's our topic for today, the idea of giving and of leadership, and we'll tackle more of those gifts in the coming weeks. You say, well, Gordon, I haven't found my gift yet. I don't know what my gift is yet. Well, there's many more of these to come, right? We've got several more weeks here yet. And so we'll get to uh, many more of the gifts, and perhaps some of those might land on where you're at. Um, but as we've been talking today, as we've been talking over the past weeks, if you feel like you've zeroed in on a gift that God has given you, friends. The aim of this series is that we would take the gifts that God has planted inside of us by His Holy Spirit, we would put those into action, and that we would use those for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you want to use us to do ministry in so many different ways, that you've gifted the church. You haven't created us all the same. You haven't designed us all with the same gifts. But Lord, you've given a variety of gifts, says in 1 Corinthians 12. You've given us a variety of gifts so that when all those gifts come together, Lord, they mesh and meld just perfectly and the church is able to function with great health and great effectiveness. Holy Spirit, we just ask in these quiet moments as we remember the Lord's broken body and his shed blood, we ask in these quiet moments that you would give us confirmation, perhaps, of what you have uniquely gifted us to do. And Lord, begin begin showing us how you want to put our hands to work On your behalf. We commit this quiet space to you. In Christ's holy name. Amen.